0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Well, Mr. McMillan, I have to say, this is a show like no other. Election like no other. Well, certainly from my lifetime... I was corresponding with someone on election night who asked me, well, haven't you seen uh, cases where some, one guy was way ahead, then it swung the other way? To which I replied, as uh, far as I know, the last time that happened was Harry Truman versus Tom Dewey. And no, I wasn't alive then. It was widely expected and in fact predicted on this program that on election night, there was bound to be a very large bias in favor of Donald Trump. And as the mail-in votes were counted, uh, it should even out. Well, it turned out we were quite ignorant about something that was important, which was that lots of states, although the news media didn't cover this very well, but lots of states were free to count votes before election day, and lots of them did. It's kind of a patchwork quilt across the country of, you know, some states weren't, some states were not allowed to start counting until election day, and I was quite disturbed to realize, this on election day, and realized the three states in question that were not going to start counting till election day. They turned out to be the Rust Belt states of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, the three states that were key to Donald Trump's victory in 2016. I guess back in 2016, they weren't allowed to count votes until uh, election day as well. How that played into the outcome, I don't know. Might be something to ask Greg Palast about when he comes on the show next week. But let's just say a lot of the numbers looked screwy, even, even with that inherent uh, understanding that there would be, you know, an initial red swing followed by a blue swing. Some numbers looked, I mean, they were just bizarre. When I saw in the state of Georgia that Donald Trump had a 15 percentage point lead, when the polls favored Biden from somewhere between a fraction of a percent to 2%, I knew something was, was up. And it turned out something very much was up, but maybe less malevolent or insidious than than I suspected. I guess a pipe broke somewhere in some election voting counting center in in Atlanta or somewhere, and that delayed lots and lots of vote reporting, which skewed the data in Trump's favor. I still can't understand why it was the state of Rhode Island where it was expected that uh, Biden would have a 20, 25 percent advantage in the polls. Trump was leading in the initial reports. The state of Virginia was favoring Biden by 12, and yet Trump was ahead by 12 in the initial reporting. I still have no explanation for why that would be, although although most of the networks were confidently predicting it would still go to Biden, which it did. But uh, this is a show like no other because we are recording this. The microphone is turned on and we are recording days now, two days after the election. And the outcome is still uncertain. I was thinking on election night that there was all kinds of fraud going on and all kinds of votes that were being made to disappear and I'm sad to note that right now I still think that, and if we're going to point fingers at the most suspicious thing about this election, and and why not? We're good finger pointers. We would note that national polls had Biden up by eight. Some, Some were more, some were less, but it's fair to say that there was a wide consensus that Biden was going to win this thing in the national vote by seven or eight percentage points. Now, of course, in America, we don't elect people on the basis of the Direct popular vote. We all know that. But unlike state by state polling, the, the national poll, which goes, you know, throughout, I presume, all 50 states in the District of Columbia, you have a wider data sampling. To switch that number profoundly should raise eyebrows. And, and right now, our eyebrows are raised. The way it stands right now as we're reporting, uh, Joe Biden has 72 million votes, making, making him the Most voted for person in American history. And oddly enough, he has more than 50% at this point. That's been a long time since we've seen that. Last number showed him hovering about 50.5. He is approaching a 4 million vote plurality. He'll probably achieve that when it's all said and done, which means that Biden will have gotten more votes versus Trump than there were citizens in the United States when the country was founded. That's a pretty clear preference, and yet we're approaching 150 million votes cast, which, when you do the math, reduces Biden's margin of victory across the country as not what the polls would have had it—something like eight percent, but more like three, well, three percent in change, I guess. But that's a pretty significant difference. That is, in fact, millions of vote away from what you would have anticipated from the polls. And I know it's a cottage industry in America to talk about how, you know, polls in America, there's just, just a real problem with polls. And by the way, we have put in a request to a local pollster in, in Marin County who uh, will hopefully join us in the program in the weeks to come and talk about this issue of polling and why, why, why in America mathematics and statistics just don't seem to work like they do in other places. I and mean, I've gotten numerous emails people saying, "Well, what do you think about the fact these polls are so off?" <laughs> just like, "Well, here's the deal. I don't think the polls are so off. I think the vote counts are so off. And I still think this election regardless of the outcome here is going to require a lot of uh a lot of analysis. And of course, we're really frustrated by the fact that right now we don't know who is the declared winner. At this exact moment in time, uh, there are four states up for grabs some say five, but certainly four. Mr. Will and I just watched a press conference in Nevada where they were talking about how, oh yeah, we're, we're going to get those votes counted by, oh, Saturday or Sunday. Now, of course, in elections, you don't generally need to count every single vote to be able to predict who is going to win. If one candidate's up by 10,000 votes and you've got 9,000 votes left to count, you, you can make the call. But the state in question is Nevada. Nevada has six electoral votes and per most, well, not per most, per at least some of the tallies across the nation, Joe Biden stands at 264. Give him six more and he's president. Among the other questions we need to get answered is how is it that Fox News has no problem calling Arizona for Joe Biden when CNN and the other networks are a little bit shy about it? Not to overthink this, but could it be that they want to wait until several states can be declared at the same time and release those because that just makes it much more difficult for this election to turn into a fiasco. I mean, if you've got several different jurisdictions that indicate that Joe Biden's president, in other words, if Nevada puts him at 270, and Georgia, as many think it will do, flips to the Biden camp, and Pennsylvania, as many anticipate might, clips to the Biden camp, well, then it's pretty tough to have some sort of uh, uh, merry-go-round of of court challenges across the country that has any chance to succeed. Of course, I didn't listen to it very carefully. And in fact, I didn't listen to it except for a sentence or two. But I guess on election night, Trump was already pinning his hopes on the courts. He's going to sell this in the courts. And he meant, you know, he meant the Supreme Court would, would eventually be what would save his bacon, which I think we all agree is why he wanted, you know, Amy... Coney Barrett, to be ramrodded through the U.S. Senate. All across the country, there seems to be a rather massive effort to suppress the vote count, which is, you know, that's the kind of thing you expect in Belarus. Not the sort of thing you'd hope uh, would, would carry the day in the United States of America. But Trump has made it clear that he doesn't believe a Republican may ever get elected again to national office if they count all the votes. So it seems to be a priority to make sure that that doesn't happen. Now, in spite of the fact that Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan were the states that couldn't start counting until Election Day, they were able to conclude in both Michigan and Wisconsin that Biden has won. When the initial polling numbers out of Michigan showed Trump up by 13, in spite of the fact that polls had Biden up by 9, and when when Trump was up by almost 3 percentage points in Wisconsin, when the polls showed Biden up by 10, I was pretty much hitting the panic button and telling everybody that, you know, the the fix looks in on this one. And to be honest, I think the fix still is in on this one. I I don't know that Trump genuinely carried Florida. We haven't trusted the Florida vote count since 2000. And in the case of Ohio, which we commented on this program previously, showed a very suspicious swing of eight percentage points to Trump from the exit polls four, four years ago. Well, it looks like something similar happened this year. Pre-election polling showed Trump to have a less than one percentage point advantage. And when they counted those votes in Ohio, what do you know? He was up by eight. Again. Now, nobody's in much of a mood to defend the Electoral College at this point, but it should be pointed out that one of the reasons they founded such a cockamamie system was that they knew there would always be corrupt precincts and that you could always churn out lots of votes for any given candidate. And then by breaking the system up state by state the way they decided to do it, it made it less possible to swing a national election with, you know, one state or two states that were just completely corrupt. Well, that was the logic anyway. I've gotten, I don't know, I don't know how, how many emails the last few days from people living overseas asking about what's the deal with this electoral college. And of course, the deal with the electoral college is that, that the small states were not going to sign on to it for fear of being swamped. I mean, if you're a Delaware or Rhode Island, you don't want to, you know, have New York just decide the national election. So they gave a little extra power to these smaller states. It turns out at this point in time, they gave a lot of extra power to the smaller states because there's lots of small states now. And yes, it's true. When you look at the United States Senate, you look at the 23 smallest states that have 46 senators among them, and discover that they have the same population of human beings as does California, which, by contrast, has exactly two senators, you'd say, well, that's, that's not a very fair system. And of course, Electoral College is made up by the number of representatives to the House, which is supposed to be proportional to population, but then also the Senate, where you know, you get two senators, even if you're Wyoming, and you have like 700,000 people in the whole state. And yes, everybody's calling, you know, for the scalp of the Electoral College saying we've got to get rid of it. And everybody realizes it's a bad system. It keeps electing guys. Well, if Donald Trump gets reelected, he'll be reelected with a voter deficit of about 4 million at this point, added to his almost 3 million from 2016. And I think you'd have to agree that this clearly does not reflect the will of the majority. Not that there's anything necessarily magical about the will of the majority. A majority of people doesn't necessarily vote smart. I mean, a lot of people have pointed out in recent years, and a lot of studies of big data and the like have shown that, uh, well, I think we mentioned one study where they, they asked a bunch of pundits to pick the, uh, the horse races at some venue. And although it turned out that none of the individual pickers got the horse races all correct, the consensus view of the pundits did get every single race correct, which makes you think there's wisdom in crowds. Well, we hope so. But I don't know. I look at the meme that that somebody sent me uh, yesterday that said, the election is still anyone's to win. But the tragic part about tonight is that after four years of Trump, desecrating and pillaging our once proud nation he still has a shot at re-election he should have been defeated by a landslide and yes how it is that donald trump still has a very clear path to victory as we speak well i mean it, it may require a few more votes being made to disappear it it might involve you know a little more computer hacking and failing all that it might involve going to the courts and finding ways to just you know invalidate duly cast votes. But a question I've heard over and over again in the last few days is, how can this happen? One correspondent from Australia wrote to say, "Go Trump," and 50 million agree with me. To which I wrote back, "Sadly, it's closer to 70 million." And of course, as predicted on election night, you know Donald Trump suggests that we just we just stop counting the votes. I won. Stop. Stop counting them. Well, as Mr. Miller points out, except in those states that he's losing, that he he demands a recount in. Of course, I don't know how it is you can do a recount unless you do a count in the first place, but I'm not Donald Trump. No, as we sit here with our coffee, we have to contemplate the fact that we might have four more years of this guy. Our fingers are crossed. We're just hoping those Nevada ballots are counted and Nevada goes blue. We're hoping that as the election gets closer and closer in Georgia, they're going to be able to call it and then Nevada won't matter. And we're hoping that this process is going to continue in Pennsylvania, which apparently is going on at a snail's pace. We don't think at this point there's any possibility of North Carolina flipping, but hey, our hope is that three will go into the blue column. Biden will top out at 3.06 and, you know, all of this courtroom nonsense will not be able to reverse what the electorate wants. But by all counts, this wasn't that bad a day for the Republicans' Election Day. It appears at this point that they are going to retain control of the Senate. It appears they actually picked up a few seats in the House of Representatives. This was not expected. So I guess here's the punchline. We think this election's tainted. We think that there was voter suppression in this election. We think that ballots probably were made to disappear from the post office. We think that there probably was some hacking here and there on the vote count. And we think that explains the perhaps four million vote swing we're seeing away from Joe Biden, who, as we speak, still has something of an edge to winning this election. But you know, I can remember 20 years ago watching the returns come in and seeing how it was the networks declared that Al Gore had won Florida, at which point I uh, told anyone who was calling in and several friends were that it's over, Gore has won. The only way Bush could win is by taking Florida, and he has not. So it's over. Gore's the president. We know how that turned out. So as I sit here right now, I am deeply fearful of something like that happening again, of them deciding, well, you know what? He didn't quite get there in Arizona, and, and no, Nevada, it looks like he didn't get there either, and by God, the leads that Trump holds in Pennsylvania, Georgia, they all held up. What do you know? We re-elected Donald J. Trump. Which point that we can talk about how it is he's going, well, we can talk about a lot of things, uh, some what ifs at, at that point, and we probably should do so, because the networks are whipping a dead horse, they're recycling through all this same data, they're, they're chatting about, you know, uh, numbers that don't seem to change very much. So what I think we'll do is we'll talk about other stuff, and by the time we're done recording, there may be some updates we can report on. So I'm going to do it that way, Mr. McMillan. Okay. One thing we need to get talking about again is the pandemic tearing the nation apart. We probably won't do a lot of that today, which, which makes this, what, the first show since March where the topic hasn't dominated? I don't know. But there's word from Axios Ipsos, a poll that showed that 61% of U.S. adults now say they know someone who's had COVID. Late March, that was just at 10% and only got to 41% in mid-July. So that's what you'd expect. At this point, 61% of adults know someone. 22% of U.S. adults know someone who has died. And I would be numbered among that 22%. Yet I must say, I find myself just about pulling my hair out when I talk to other doctors who are still maintaining this view that, oh, this isn't so bad. This is, the press is making a big deal out of this. Uh, one, one colleague of mine, Former colleague of mine was pointing out that he just wasn't sure that, you know, masks would work. You know, show me some good data on that, he said. I resisted the impulse to respond in the manner that I, that I sort of uh, uh, thought of at first, which was to say, When did you become a quack? But I thought that might damage our friendship. <laughs> but it does appear that an awful lot of people out there in the medical profession are, are looking up to Scott Atlas and, and I guess Rush Limbaugh for their news. Of course, you know, Rush Limbaugh. It appears as, you know, not necessarily all that long for this world. To which I have to add, I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal, you. I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal, you. I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal, you. You know you've done me wrong. You stole my wife and gone. I'll be glad when you're dead, you. Rascal you. Talk about him, Jill, and Talk about him. I'm going speaking to you, of rascality, how about this? Uh, as reported in CNN.com, President Trump is paving the way for mass firings of career civil servants if he wins. Last week, Trump signed an executive order fit for Banana Republic, noted Lori Garrett and CNN reclassify more than 100,000 federal employees involved in policymaking so they can be fired without cause, like political appointees can be. That change, set to take effect on the eve of the January presidential inauguration, would let Trump get rid of scientists, medical experts, foreign policy experts, and regulators of all kinds and packed the federal workforce with partisan sycophants and stooges. A leader of the largest federal worker union called it a declaration of war. Ronald Sanders, a Trump-appointed head of a council on civil service, resigned in protest. Writing in Axios.com, Jonathan Swan and Elena Treen said this is just part of Trump's second term hit list. Sources who've spoken to Trump say his he plans to fire FBI Director Christopher Wray, CIA Director Gina Haspel, and Defense Secretary Mark Esper, and all other agency and department heads who've resisted his demands. I hope this item has gotten your attention. Dr. Anthony Fauci last week pointed out that this nation was going to have a lot of hurt ahead of it thanks to its policies. This, of course, enraged the Trump insider team and Trump himself, who, when in the wake of this, uh, this criticism from Fauci, uh, saw a campaign rally chant of, fire Fauci, fire Fauci, arise. Trump's response was to smirk and say, well, why don't we just wait till after the election? I appreciate your advice. Thing is, Dr. Anthony Fauci is protected by the civil service. He's not a political appointee. He works for, and in fact heads, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which he has done since 1984. That is a tenure spanning three Republican and two Democratic administrations. He's not like a White House press spokesperson. Writing in Forbes.com, Bruce Lee claims that Trump says he wants to just weed out underperformers But unfortunately for him, there's a reason even presidents can't fire federal employees indiscriminately. And of course, it's not necessarily a good idea given the fact that career public servants like Fauci carry specialized knowledge across various presidencies, but, notes Forbes, Trump isn't interested in evidence-based scientific, economic, or military advice. He wants to stock critical federal agencies with yes people. This has even gotten the attention of conservative uh, news outlets. The New Republic's Matt Ford said that this order is a dramatic escalation of Trump's authoritarianism. He believes the federal government should operate like the Trump Organization, with every employee serving the boss's whims and political interests. Writing in VanityFair.com, Bess Levin said in Trump's first term, he was bedeviled by rules barring him from axing federal employees who encourage mask wearing or highlighted the threat of climate change, or refused to back up his erroneous claims that a hurricane was headed for Alabama. And notes, Vanity Fair, even if Trump loses this thing, he might use his order to go on a firing spree and cripple a Joe Biden administration for months. That would be pretty destructive and pretty vengeful, but would it surprise anyone? By the way, Assuming Trump is, given his walking papers in the next couple of days, and he's not around on January 21st, you got to keep in mind that he is free to run for president again in 2024. And isn't that a lovely thought? Which Mr. Millen hastens to add, if he's not in jail. And you know, I said we're going to move away from talking about the election, but uh, let's, let's pull up some sources here that were written Before. November 3rd, in this case, what they had to say about the election in The Economist. Said the magazine, the country that elected Donald Trump in 2016 was unhappy and divided. The country he is asking to reelect him is more unhappy and more divided. After almost four years of his leadership, politics is angrier than it was and partisanship even less constrained. Daily life is consumed by a pandemic that has registered almost 230,000 deaths amid bickering, buck-passing, and lies. Much of that is Mr. Trump's doing, and his victory on November 3rd would endorse it all. Joe Biden is not a miracle cure for what ails America, but he is a good man who would restore steadiness and civility to the White House. He is equipped to begin the long, difficult task of putting a fractured economy back together again which is why if we had a vote, it would go to Joe. That's how they started the editorial. Here's how they closed it. In this election, America faces a fateful choice. At stake is the nature of its democracy. One path leads to a fractious, personalized rule dominated by a head of state who scorns decency and truth. The other leads to something better something truer to what this newspaper sees as the value that originally made America an inspiration around the world. In his first term, Mr. Trump has been a destructive president. He would start his second term affirmed in all his worst instincts. Mr. Biden is his antithesis. Were he to be elected, success would not be guaranteed. How could it be? But we would enter the White House with the promise of the most precious gift that democracies can bestow renewal. We should note, too, that, you know, The Economist is pretty smart. They've got pretty good statisticians out there, and they handicapped the race as Trump being given a 5% chance of success. And yet, here we are, looking at the returns from Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and biting our nails. All right, let's take a short break. Before we do, we should note one little bit of good news in all of this, is that apparently, from, from what I've seen anyway, I don't know about you, miss Marilyn uh there was not a whole a lot of voter intimidation going on across the country we didn't We were feared the possibility of armed men showing up to uh patrol the polling stations and i, I don't I don't think a lot of that took place yeah, I overslept and couldn't find my gun <laughs> I see of course, uh, as we speak, we're seeing news clips of, of people protesting down in Arizona demanding they they shut down uh, the vote count down there, which. which someone may want to clue in the Trump fans a little better about this sort of thing. He's actually losing in Arizona. So if you protest the vote count, well, he's never going to get ahead. But then again, if you were terribly responsive to facts and logic, you probably wouldn't be out there shouting in the streets down in Phoenix now, would you? And by no means should we get too smug about, uh, you know, how we've dodged a bullet on that one. I think we can expect a lot of protests in the weeks to come. Um, Well, I I hope not. But nevertheless, it's entirely possible we will see some of this stuff going on uh, across the nation as um, Trump rallies the troops to go out and, you know, show support for him. And final item, apparently six of the top U.S. airlines have banned nearly 1,500 people from flying for violating face mask requirements. Refusal to do so increased as the president has dismissed mask wearing according to a flight attendance union. This comes from the Wall Street Journal. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's take off in the blue.